How's everybody doing? Merry Christmas. That was all right. Yeah, I know you weren't quite ready for it. On the count of three, I want you to yell in church like your mama told you never to. I want you to yell out Merry Christmas to one another and to me. One, two, three. Wow, that's awesome. Hey, Merry Christmas, man. We're glad you guys are here. If you're a guest here, my name is Benji. I get one of the awesome privileges of serving as pastor around here. Just so thrilled that you're here. Welcome to New Hope Church and welcome to all of the campus locations that are out there. I'm talking about Garner. Columbia, we're coming your way, Columbia, in a few weeks for a real exciting meeting, Kenya, North Durham. Hey, North Durham is having their very first Christmas as a campus over there. Yeah. North Raleigh Coffee House is meeting right now at the Durham campus upstairs, online campus, Hillsboro campus, Sanford and Durham campus. So we're less than a week out from our Christmas uh, services starting. And we call them services for Christmas. Throughout the year, we call them worship celebrations. But there's a sacredness to the Christmas services. And so that kicks off on Friday night. And I just thought it'd be good on the front end today to kind of let you see all the, the campuses and all the service times so that you can kind of decide where you're going to go. You'll see Durham campus, that's us. December 22nd, that's Friday Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you can come on Friday night, kind of, you know, maybe you're traveling or maybe you just want to worship on Friday night and then you've got your Sunday free to do whatever you want to do, which is Christmas Eve, come out on Friday night. It would help us create some space. We'd love to have you kick off the weekend for us. Then on Sunday, December 24th, notice that the service times are in the afternoon. Not in the morning, okay? They got Garner Campus. They got a Friday service and three Sunday services. Hillsboro's got a Friday and a Sunday service. Kenya, oh, but, but, hey, maybe you want to go to Kenya. <laughs> Take a little road trip, you know what I mean? A little boat trip to Kenya, Karibu. They'd love to have you over there. Um, North Raleigh Campus has a Friday and a Sunday. Sanford has a Friday and two Sundays. North Durham at the Carrington Middle School, they have a service on Sunday just because it's a public school and so they, they get the building on Sunday. So there you go. Pick your campus, which is probably Durham for those of you who are here, wherever you're at, at the campus locations, and pick your worship service time. Hey, um, and then I thought I'd tell you that on the 31st of December, which is New Year's Eve, some of you grew up in, in traditions where you had new, new Year's Eve services. We are worshiping on New Year's Eve, not during the nighttime, but in the morning. And we're having Holy Communion on Sunday, December 31st. And then I thought I would go ahead and let you know the series that we're moving into in January is called Comeback. Everybody say Comeback. Comeback. It's a series that we're kicking off in the new year. Every setback has a comeback. And so, yes, sir. Might as well preach right there. Every, every, uh, every setback has a comeback. There is the graphic. And uh, look at that kid up front. He is like killing it, all right? Every great comeback starts with a setback. That's where we're going in the new year. Great series for the new year. Hey, I want to talk to you today about the power of a name. I want to talk to you today about the story behind most names. And let me start out by telling you a story. The story goes that William and James, William and who? Were making a modest living running a soap and candle company. 
William ran the front office doing more of the administrative kinds of work, public relations, sales, that sort of thing. James ran the manufacturing side of things. And for 20 years, William and James just kind of plugged along, modest living, nothing really to brag about, but they had a decent company. But then they started realizing that the fancy European soaps that were being shipped over to America was competing big time with their modest soap and candle company. They hired the best chemists they could find to try and develop finer soaps, but they really didn't have any luck. They developed new formulas, they produced new products, but the new soap wasn't exactly working out that well. Until one day, a man by the name of Clem, Clem was the guy who mixed all the chemicals together, mixed the soaps together. He went to lunch one day and on his way out of the door, Clem forgot to turn off the mixing vats that were mixing all of the chemical compounds for their soap. He went to lunch for a few hours. He came back and lo and behold, the, 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 the alarms were going off and the mixing vats had continued to mix several additional hours. Clem cut it off, thanked the good Lord that nobody knew and he decided to keep it on the down low. Until about a month later, about a month later, the company began to be inundated with requests for more of the new soap. People would stop by the actual company and ask the shop owners. They wanted to buy more of the miraculous floating soap. You see, the first time, for the very first time, people actually realized that the soap floated. Now, most of you wouldn't know about this, but in those days, most people were taking baths down in the local river or in the local creek. And if you've ever bathed outside, this would be an interesting little thing to know. How many of you have bathed outside in a soap, in a creek or a river? Come on, I have many times. Not because I had to, but because I was just like hunting and fishing, right? And back then you would drop a bar of soap in a river or a creek and you had to grope around, right? Until you could find it. But all of a sudden this soap started to float and people wanted to know where they could find the miraculous floating soap. Now at first, William and James didn't know what was going on. They had no idea what they were talking about. Remember, Clem decided to keep it on the DL. They started asking around the company and finally Clem came clean, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even plan it like that. Seriously, that, that's not in my notes. <laughs> Clem came clean and admitted what had happened. The chemists gathered around and lo and behold, they started mixing the soap for two additional hours in the mixing vats. Thus was born the little white bar of soap that I grew up experiencing when I would go to my grandparents' house in Charleston, South Carolina as a kid. I see the head shaking. So some of you might've experienced it or maybe you still use it today. I'm talking about ivory soap. Now, interestingly enough, James was a Christian, William and James. 
You might know about ivory, but maybe you don't know about this little tidbit. James went to church and as the business skyrocketed, I mean, it took off, guys. They, their, their little modest business went to a, a whole nother level and they, they became rich overnight. And James was trying to decide what to name his soap. And so he went to church one day and he heard the pastor reading from the book of Psalms and the pastor talked about palaces of ivory. And he named his soap Ivory. Now you might not know their last names, William and James. You might know them as Proctor and Gamble. <laughs> now there, there's power in a name. Every name has a story. And today I'm going to try and do something that I have never done before in my entire life. You are experiencing a first. I am going to try my best to preach and teach a message on the genealogy of Jesus. Oh boy. <laughs> Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter one and maybe you can start praying for me right now. <laughs> Matthew chapter one, I have never in my life. Some of you have looked at the genealogies and you decide, you know what? I think I'm gonna skip right over that and go on to chapter two. <laughs> it's difficult to read through and the names are really difficult to even pronounce. Matthew chapter one. And again, there is a story behind every name. Matthew chapter one. I'm gonna be reading from the message translation. In fact, the message translation. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Judah and his brothers. Judah had Perez and Zerah, the mother of Tamar. Perez had Hezron. Hezron had Aram. Aram had Aminadab. Aminadab had Nashon. Nashon had Salmon, or if you like Salmon, praise be to God. Salmon had Boaz. His mother was Rahab. Boaz had Obed. Ruth was the mother. Obed had Jesse. Jesse had David. And David became king. David had Solomon. Uriah's wife was the mother. There were 14 generations from Abraham to David. How many? and another 14 from David to the Babylonian exile. And yet another 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Christ. The birth of Jesus, skipping on down into Matthew 1, the Christmas story, here we go. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly as Mary would not be disgraced. While he was trying to figure a way out, he had a dream. God's angel spoke in the dream. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. Huh. Come on, man, what would you do? Just saying, just saying. Joseph was an amazing man. 
God's Holy Spirit made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth. And when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus, which means what, church? Good job. God saves because he will save his people from their sins. This would bring the prophets, I love this next phrase in the message translation. This would bring the prophets embryonic sermon to full term. That's good. Watch for this. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son. They will name him Emmanuel. Hebrew for what? God is with us. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. I believe, Lord, that all of scripture, the entire canon is God-breathed. So, Father, I believe that there's truth in even the genealogy that can teach your church about who you are. So, Father, would you take our minds and would you think through them today? Would you take our hearts? Would you fill with them? Would you take my lips, Father God, and speak through them? For if you do not speak, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. And the people of God said together, amen, amen, amen. Hey, take out your teaching notes. Leave your Bible open. Let's go get this. Let's talk about genealogies for a moment. Genealogies were important in Jesus's day and age. Your genealogy is important. How many of you are proud of your family? Proud of your family heritage, right? How many of you wishes you could have been born into another family? Uh, don't go there, never mind. But genealogies were important in Jesus's day as they are today. Back then, particularly, a family's history or genealogy could actually make or break a person. In fact, around the time of Jesus, you might not know this, King Herod had his genealogical records destroyed out of vanity because he believed that if people knew who he really came from, he would not have a chance to be king. Herod, in other words, using our language today, Herod had some black sheep in his family. Come on, how many of you, how many of you, Got some black sheep in your family. She's yelling for the black sheep over there. <laughs> Balcony, I'll never forget about you. How many of you got some black sheep in your family? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Hey, hey, hey. How, how, how many of you, you are the black sheep? <laughs> huh? 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 I got to put both hands up. <laughs> Y'all know my teenage years, I was the black sheep of the family. But not only that, even after I became a Christian, God saved my life and wrecked me with his grace. I came off to school, got in a U-Haul truck by myself, drove it into Durham, North Carolina, went to school, met my wife, and became the black sheep of the family again because I never went home. And where I'm from, you just don't do that, right? I, I'm, I'm the black sheep, right? Uh, and one, one final question. How many of you, you're sitting there, you're going, there's no black sheep in my family? Come here, come here, come here. <laughs> if you're sitting there going, I, my family's awesome, there are no black sheep in my family, you're probably the black sheep. <laughs> you just don't know it, man. You just don't know it. But genealogies were real, real important. And one of the major emphasis in the gospel of Matthew is the emphasis upon Jesus as king. Jesus as what? King in an earthly sense. I mean, we see him as Messiah, right? But let us never forget that in the, in the days of Jesus, they were needing an earthly king. They were expecting an earthly king to ride in on a white stallion to destroy and take down that beast of an army and a government known as Rome. So think about this in terms of an earthly king. 
And what is most interesting, you'll see this maybe in your teaching notes. I know it'll be on the screen. What is most surprising is Matthew's mention of four women in the lineage of Jesus. Four women. Now, women were rarely, if ever, mentioned in the genealogies of Jesus' day or of Matthew's day. There was little reason to, if you know the context, since the family name and the inheritance didn't come from the woman, nor did the inheritance stick with the women. Women were not included in genealogies. Besides that, in an ancient Jewish culture, women had no legal rights. And they were regarded more as possessions that belonged to men than human beings. And yet Matthew mentions four women in the genealogy of Jesus. It could be, don't miss this, it could be, and I firmly believe that it is, it could be that the mention of these women in the lineage of Jesus was God's way of signifying and significantly affirming that women were every bit as important and integral in the salvation plan of God as were men. Let the women say amen. Amen. That's what I'm talking about, women. That's awesome. Many have no problem affirming women in this day and age, but this was revolutionary in Jesus' day and age. And by the way, I just feel like I need to say this. Side note, sidebar. Have you noticed what's been going on in our culture with women and men? And I don't know of any other thing to call it, but maybe we'll call it the Harvey Weinstein era. Y'all know Harvey Weinstein taken down in a big kind of way. After that, the tipping point happened. The Me Too movement has started. And many, many men are being taken down for sexual assault and sexual harassment of women. And let me just state unequivocally for the record that sexual harassment and sexual assault of any gender, but particularly since we're talking about this, of women by men is sinful, it is wrong in the world in which we live and even more so in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. It's wrong. And some of you are sitting there going, well, I just don't believe all the accusations. I know, maybe there are some false ones going on. I get it, I get it. I'm not talking about false accusations. I'm talking about whenever someone has a legitimate concern or an accusation, let it be stated in the church first and foremost. Again, let me repeat myself. Any form of sexual harassment or sexual assault upon a man, upon a woman by a man, in a position of authority or not, is inappropriate, unfaithful, and sinful. Can I hear the women say amen? Amen. There it is again. There it is again. Where was I? Oh yeah, here I am. Yeah. (laughs) So the first reason I believe is that God was letting us know that women were integral and very important in the salvation plan of God. But there's another reason or two as well, and I just want to talk to you about that. Do you remember Tamar? 
Tamar. You'll find her in verse three of what we just read. If you want to read more on her, write these things down. You ought to go read up on these women. You can read Genesis 38. Tamar dressed up like a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law into having sex with her. I'm telling you, you should read your Bible. It's fascinating stuff. (laughs) The result of that affair was the birth of twin boys, Perez and Zerah. Do you remember Rahab? Rahab not only dressed up like a prostitute, Rahab was a prostitute. She made her living in and around the city of Jericho. And yet in the course of her life, she made a contribution to the lineage of Jesus. It's fascinating, I'm telling you. Do you remember Ruth? You can read about her in the book of, well, Ruth. She wasn't even a Jew. She was a Moabite. The entire nation of Moabite people grew out of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. Do you remember Uriah's wife? Oh my. Remember this? You can read about her in 2 Samuel 11. When she became the object of King David's lust and the ensuing affair led to the most famous royal scandal in the entire Old Testament. David ends up having her husband, Uriah, killed. And some time later, he and Bathsheba have a little boy by the name of Solomon. Fascinating. These are the cats that are contained and presented to the church in the lineage of Jesus. Now, surely if Matthew just wanted to let us know that women were an integral part in the salvation plan of God, Matthew could have included some better women. You know know what I'm saying? He could have included, think about it, Abraham's wife. Her name was? Good job. He could have included Isaac's wife. Her name was? Rebecca, Jacob's wives, Leah and Rachel, women with far cleaner reputations who were proclaimed in our Bible as spiritual giants. But instead, this blows my mind. Instead, Matthew chooses to include black sheep of the family. Matthew chooses to bring out the skeletons from the closet. Matthew chooses to wave the broken branches, if you will, of the family tree, as if to say, these are the kinds of people God likes to include in his redemption story. Come on, it's incredible. These are the stories behind the names. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first thing we can learn from the genealogy of Jesus. Number one, the genealogy of Jesus testifies that Christmas is truly for anyone and who, church? Even the genealogy of Jesus, the way Matthew sets it up, testifies that the Christmas story of Jesus is for anyone and everyone. Emmanuel, which means what? God with 
us was not just God coming down the stairway of heaven and living amongst the, the proper, the educated, the employed. Oh, no, 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 no. The Christmas story reminds us right out of the gate that yes, God came down the stairway of heaven, but he dwelt in the messiness of our day. He lives amongst the messy. God has seen it all. You can't surprise God with your bad choices. You can't appall God with your bad habits. God has seen it all and he chose to dwell in the mess of it all. Among a number of things that the birth of Jesus and the cross of Jesus declares is that we are messy. We are messy. And God chose to dwell in the mess with us. That is just how good our God is. If I was king for a day, and I'm not, but if I were king for a day, I think I would change the name of Christmas. I would call it Christmas and not Christmas. I really would. I, maybe we should change the name of Christmas to Christmas. Because God dwells in the messiness of it all. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful. Amen. Number two, write this down. The genealogy of Jesus testifies that Christmas is about the grace of God with us. The grace of God with us. You see, the truth is, and if you're a guest around here, just so you know, we talk about any and everything and we, we say it like it is. The truth is, there's dirt on every one of these people in the genealogies. And the truth is, there's dirt on every single person listening to me right now. There is nobody perfect here. The church is the only place in the world where it is okay to not be okay. He dwells in the messiness with us, but I believe one of the key reasons these four women are mentioned in the genealogy is because they are infamous. They are most remembered for their identity as outsiders, as sinners. And the word of God says, I want you to know that they matter so much that the grace of God is for any and everyone. I'm gonna even include them on the pages of Holy Scripture. Some of you are probably gonna be buying diamonds this time of year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you maybe have already bought a diamond this time of year. About a month ago, I, <laughs> he said, no. <laughs> Brother, I hope you're married to her or you just started dating her. <laughs> about, about a month or so ago, I, 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 you might remember I went off on that for a moment and I was like, dude, man, some of you, you've been dating her for like six years. It's about time to get a diamond. She ran up to me after church and gave me a big old hug. She goes, he's going to buy a diamond. <laughs> hey, whatever I can do to bless you, right? Whatever I can do. Most of you know if you've ever bought a diamond or if you go look at diamonds, you'll know that jewelers take diamonds and they thrust them against a black piece of velvet as a way to make the diamond shine with brilliance. Shine bright like a diamond. Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. 
But if you go buy a diamond, dime, they'll thrust them against this black piece of velvet as a way to show the brilliance, right? The clarity, the beauty of a diamond. Listen to me, listen. Matthew shows the brilliance of God's diamond of his grace by thrusting it against the blackest and darkest backgrounds in the Jewish people's history as a way of saying, look at the beauty, the clarity, the brilliance of God's grace. Come on, aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Aren't you thankful that God has given us, come on, grace upon grace upon grace. That is just how good our God is. Reminds me of a story, reminds me of a story. A a, a pastor uh, came home one day and he was married and his wife, she was a pet freak. I mean, some of you, some of you are like this. Some of you just love pets. She had all kinds of pets. He wasn't a pet person. How many of you are not pet people and you married a pet person? Yeah, yeah, God bless you. Um, but he came home and she, she had already had all kind of pets. She had not dog, she had dogs, she had cats, she had a hamster, she had a parakeet. And you know, he, he just kind of over the years kept putting up with this. But one day he lost it. He came home from work and she had a monkey, <laughs> a monkey. And he goes, that's it, I'm done. Enough is enough. She goes, oh, honey, it'll be okay. He'll just live with the rest of us. He goes, no, he goes, no. where's the monkey going to eat? She said, well, he's going to eat at our table. <laughs> no, I've had enough. Where, where's the monkey going to sleep? She said, well, the monkey's going to sleep in the bed with us. He said, what about the smell? She said, oh, don't worry about it. I got too, used to it a long time ago, and he will too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, come on, go. All of us. All of some of some of them are just getting it. <laughs> some of you'll get it on your way home. All of us, every single one of us, has, if you will, the smell of sin on us, the stench of bad decisions, bad habits, brokenness black sheep in our family, skeletons in our closet. We all have it. And yet the genealogy of Jesus reminds us God loves us right where we are. Just as we are. Now he loves us too much to leave us there. But he loves us right where we are. That's why Romans 3 would put it like this. Come on, church, read it out loud with me together. Really strong, ready, go. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Let's continue. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through, come on, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Grace upon grace. Here's the third and final thing I'd say to you today. The genealogy of Jesus testifies that Christmas is about the sovereignty of God. It's about the what? It's about the sovereignty 
of God. The first thing is that it's about God invading the messiness. The second thing is Christmas is about the fact that God's grace is for any and everyone. And the third thing is that the genealogy, even the genealogy of Jesus testifies to the sovereignty of God. Now that's a big word and you might be like, well, well, sovereignty, talk, talk to me about that. The sovereignty of God speaks about the fact that God is powerful enough. God is a supreme authority in the world and therefore he is powerful enough to take any and every situation that we might face and he can do something good with it. Now, I don't know if you, if you were here last week, how many of you miss Maximus? I, miss, I need Maximus up here, man. Maximus, if you were here last week, if you're a guest, don't worry about it. But by the way, those series, uh, I was, was going to tell you, we have them in the Resource Center. We sold out completely in the first celebration, though they're taking orders in the Resource Center. Many of you have been asking, battle ready. We just finished it up. Last week, we had Maximus here, and I had a boat here, remember? And I don't know that I've ever, ever experienced you so engaged as you were last week. And I spoke about the meantime, remember that? That what do you do in the meantime? What do you do in that, that land between lands? And I told you that what you do in the meantime is you do what church? You stand, you stand firm. Even in the meantime though, I thought about this this week as I was thinking about this and, and what happened last week. The sovereignty of God declares that even in the meantime, even in the land between the land, ours is a God who will take the messiness of all of that. And if you will let him, he'll build something beautiful. I think of Romans 8, 28, right? For our God does what? Our God works together for good. For what? For good in every situation for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. So the genealogy of Jesus even testifies about the sovereignty of God. If you were a Jew, if you were a Jew reading through the genealogy of Jesus and you were mindful of God's plan to send his Messiah through the family line of Abraham, you wouldn't be too far along into the genealogy before you had this sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach that you were on a train, <laughs> And you were quickly approaching dead man's curve and the conductor had fallen asleep. You would start to believe right away this whole gospel thing, this whole coming of the Messiah has gone awry. And yet you would be mistaken. And so would I. Because that's the way our God moves. By the end of Matthew 1, you'll see this on the screen. By the end of Matthew 1, we realize that God is in the business, come on church, of bringing light out of darkness, good out of evil, right out of wrong, purity out of impurity, and holiness out of unholiness. Our God is just that good. Amen is right. So I want to ask you to do two things. 
I wanna ask you to do two things and then we'll sing this great song and let you be on your way. I wanna ask you if, you, if this is your home, if you're a guest here, I'm not really talking to you, you can eavesdrop, but this is for the new hopers. If the genealogy of Jesus and Jesus himself and Christmas himself, come on, is for any and everyone, and if it's about the sovereignty of God and it's about a God who will invade the messiness of humanity and do something beautiful, if it really is, if you'll give me that, then I wanna invite you, unashamedly, I wanna invite you to do this. I wanna invite you to give a gift of hope. A gift of what? Hope. You've been hearing us talk about this for a few weeks. It kicks off today. It goes all the way through December 31st. I wanna invite you to give a generous gift of hope so that other people can experience this grace that we've been talking about before. This is above and beyond your tithes. We do a Christmas offering every year. And most of you know that we are coming to the end of a three-year faith-raising campaign called Hope Rising. Hope Rising is how we doubled this building three years ago. Hope Rising is how we did all kinds of refurbishments and upfits at all of our other campuses. Hope Rising is how we went into the mission field, literally like we never had before. That's what Hope Rising was about. We're coming to the end of it. It wraps up on Vision Day, which is January 27th, 2018. But a Christmas gift of hope is December. I wanna invite you to give a gift and I wanna invite you to give generously to a God has, who has given generously and extravagantly to us in Christ Jesus, amen? 100% of the Christmas offering, 100% of the Christmas offering will go to Hope Rising. It will go to reach people like, and some of you have been receiving these at home if we have your mailing address, it will go to reach people like Alicia. Remember Alicia? She goes to Carrington Middle School. She was running from God. People would ask her, hey, do you go to church? And she'd say, yes, yeah, she'd lie. New Hope launched a campus in North Durham at Carrington Middle School. Alicia concluded that she couldn't run from God anymore because God had come to the school where she taught. She came to church on a Sunday at the same school where she works, Monday through Friday. I preached, she received Christ. She's now gotten baptized and joined our church. It's to reach Alicia's. It's to teach people like Lisa. Some of you heard Pastor George Franco, our executive pastor, share this story a few weeks ago. Lisa lives in Delaware. Lisa started watching our worship celebrations online. She became a part of our online community. She accepted Christ, and at our last baptism celebration, she heard me announce the baptism. Lisa got in her car in Delaware Church and drove from Delaware to Durham, North Carolina, where we baptized her in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And she's watching. She always watches online. Lisa, we love you. Think about yesterday. So you got reach, you got teach. I think about yesterday. At all of our campuses, we did the angel tree Christmas gift, right? Hundreds and hundreds. I don't even know the exact number. Amy Lynn, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Do you know about how many? I can't hear you. 
about 250 kids came to one of our campuses yesterday and received gifts. And these are kids whose parents are incarcerated in jail. I think about all the work we're doing in Kenya. Water wells for people who don't have water. Adopting entire villages. Reach, teach, and release. 100% of your Christmas offering this year will be given to give people hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Multiple ways to give. You know this. There's things in your chair pockets. Most of you give online now. I think we're at about 70% of people who give online the most secure, reliable way. You can click gift of hope there. Some people text. There's all kinds of ways to give. But lastly, and I'm done, I just want to unashamedly invite you to give a generous Christmas gift of hope so that God might take our resources and keep making a big deal out of Jesus here and afar. Amen? Last thing I want to invite you to do, and then we're going to, like I said, sing a song and let you go. I want to huddle up as a family in closing. And I want to ask you this question. Who are you bringing next weekend? Who are you bringing Studies show time and time again, if people are invited to a Christmas or an Easter service, they'll come. I want to invite you. We call it invest and invite. I want to encourage you to think, who do you need to extend an invitation to this week and bring them to the services on Friday or bring them on Sunday? Who, who's the black sheep in your family? Who, who's the black sheep in your workplace? You know, the one you can't stand. Yeah, yeah, you just, just thought of them, didn't you? Hey, as hard as it might be for you to imagine, God loves them. You ever feel like looking at somebody going, man, God loves you, but I'm trying. <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> right? Come on. You'll never lock eyes ever with anyone for whom God didn't send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a blood-stained cross for. Who in your neighborhood or your workplace or your apartment complex or, or that you'll run into this week? Oh, God bless you if you gotta go out to the malls this week, right? God bless you. How many of you got all your Christmas shopping done? Come on, show of hands. All of you got it done like you were done, done. We're running behind this year, church. Wow, normally by now, lots of, how many of you still got to go out? You still got to make it happen online or go out? Yeah. Yeah, those of you who already have it done, yeah. You make us sick. Anyway, <laughs> just kidding. Who can you bring to church with you? Don't come alone. And don't just say, hey, I invite you to New Hope Church. Actually say, I'll bring you, I'll pick you up. And you, we call it be a bringer. Invest and invite, be a bringer. Bring them with you to church. And here's what I promise you we're gonna do. We're gonna do everything we can do to offer the most amazing Christmas celebration you've ever attended. You will be thrilled that you brought your friends. This year, we're taking it up a notch. This year, we've got like hot cocoa bars at all of our campuses. 
not, not like cocoa bars, but like bars. Some of you know about bars way too much. Bars, hot, hot cocoa bars. Not the bars, but you know, bars, bars. We got Christmas ornament stations where your kids are going to be able to make ornaments, right? Family-oriented services, so you bring your kids, except for the infants, they go to the nursery, but you bring your kids into our Christmas services. It's going to be incredible. And here's what I promise you, and I've been saying this for 15 years now, you get them here, and I'm gonna do everything I can possibly do to present the clearest, most compelling Christmas gospel-centered message. And we're gonna see Jesus save hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. But you gotta bring them here. Who are you bringing? Who are you inviting? And I just believe by faith that we'll be able to celebrate on December 31st unbelievable numbers of salvation. Because behind every number is a name. Behind every name is a face. Behind every face is a soul for whom Jesus Christ came, lived, bled, died, and rose again that they might have salvation. May God do an amazing work here and at all of our campuses next weekend to the glory and the honor and the fame of Jesus Christ. If you receive it and believe it, let me hear you celebrate it and thank God for what he's going to do. Pray with me and uh, stay put. Pray, pray, pray with me and stay put if you would. Father, <laughs> thank you for the word of God. Thank you that it is all God inspired, God breathed as Paul would say to Timothy. Even the genealogies, Father, drip with the grace and the truth of who you are. Father, I thank you for this opportunity just to huddle up with the family called New Hope. Father, as we leave this place today, may we realize what the signs at the end of our driveways say. We are entering the mission field. And Father, may you right now indelibly pierce into our hearts, into our minds, the people the person, the family that we just need to maybe deliver a plate of cookies or a gift or just, hey, I'd love for you to come to church. I'll pick you up. Let's go to church together next weekend. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would start hovering over the Carolinas and Kenya. That you would prepare the hearts and the minds of those that we are going to invite. And Father, we pray that when they show up at a New Hope campus, they will experience a joy that is contagious, a spirit that is obviously from you, the Holy Spirit. And God, may you take the words that I declare, the words that we sing about, the words that my friends live out. May you make it really, really hard to go to hell anywhere near a New Hope campus. Be glorified in us, God. Be exalted high. May your glory, may your fame, may your praise, may your honor extend like never before. We pray it in Jesus' name.
And all of God's children said together, Amen. 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 And amen.